If you'll look with me in the book of James, chapter 3, you'll understand immediately why I'm nervous. I don't know what to make of the laughter, but uh, I... James chapter 3 says this to us, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Can you see why I'm anxious? <laughs> Would it surprise you to learn that I've been getting in trouble with the things I say since I learned to talk? That would surprise no one, right? When I was in kindergarten, in fact, the teacher sent a note home saying, Bruce talks too much, you need to come in, Mrs. Garner, and talk to me about your son, and I need you to sign this note that I'm sending you to acknowledge that you know that I'm asking for an appointment. Well, I knew that was death. Uh, I was carrying my death warrant home because my mother did not mess around. She, she was a firm believer in not spoiling the child and the generous and biblical use of the rod of correction and instruction, and I didn't, I'd had plenty of that. I wanted no more of it, so I decided to forge her signature. <laughs> it was not successful. It didn't go well at all. And ever since, I've been getting in some kind of trouble by the things I say and when I say them and why I say them and how I say them and how often or how much I speak. Can anybody relate to any of this? James chapter 3 is one of the most beloved parts in the book of James because we find it so true to life. One of the many proofs to me that the Bible is the very Word of God very importantly and historically, it gives witness to the historical, actual resurrection of Jesus. And that's massive. That's the most important thing, perhaps, of the Word of God. But just in an everyday basis, one of my, the proofs that I know that this is no ordinary book, this is not mere human wisdom, is it is accurate and true to life. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this sometime in the 40s. In other words, this has been around some 2,000 years, but absolutely nothing has changed. Remember, James is writing to believing Jews in the first century who have been scattered by persecution because they have become Christians. And if you look in James chapter 4, verse 1, if you just quickly turn a page, we won't come there yet that's in the future as we march through the book of James, but James says in James 4 verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, their suffering has created all kinds of problems, including conflict within the believing community. These believing Jews have organized themselves, doubtless, in local churches, and now James is addressing all of them, but particularly in James chapter 3, verse 1, he's going to talk to them about the way they talk. And he's going to single out a specific role or person. Who does James single out in James chapter 3, verse 1? The teachers. 
And he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, last week, in the most difficult passage in James, we learned that James taught us that faith without works is dead. And the simplest way to understand that is what you claim to be faith, what you call faith is no faith at all. It is dead faith. It is non-existent dead faith unless you have the kind of faith that produces godly works. And James chapter 3 is right after James chapter 2. Please remember always your Bible was not written in chapter verse divisions. Those came in just a few centuries ago. James wrote an epistle. He didn't chop it up into chapters and verses. People did that for good reason, to make it easier for us to read and study. But James is writing one continuous letter. So never lose sight of the fact that everything hangs together. Why, after this hard passage of telling you, unless you have the kind of faith that produces godly, righteous works, you don't know God at all. You don't have genuine faith in Jesus unless you have, with what you claim to be faith, the kind of works that genuine faith produces. Is this making sense so far? Much more sense if you were here last week, but that's the burden of James chapter 2. And then he seems to really drastically take a left turn and start talking about something altogether different. And start talking about speech and start talking about teachers who will be judged with greater strictness. What's the connection? The connection is this, words are works. Your words are a work of either godliness or ungodliness. Your words actually reveal what is in your heart. Your words have an impact on your life, as James is going to go on to explain to us. Your words are works, and as we continue to read James chapter 3 in this very famous passage, where he diagnoses speech, and he actually talks about the part of your body that you use to speak, and talks about the tongue as a living, harmful, destructive thing, James is also going to tell you that not only are words works, but also more talk equals more trouble. Have you noticed? That's one of the reasons that teachers are at greater risk, because we talk more. The more you talk, the more likely you are to sin with your speech. Now, some of you are going to take a quiet note to never teach anything ever again. <laughs> and that would be the wrong lesson. You just have to take your speech, and particularly your teaching, and in some sense, any mature believer is teaching. I hope you're teaching your children. I pray that you're teaching your children. I pray that you're witnessing and talking about Jesus as God provides opportunity, which is far more abundant than we would generally recognize. Any speech regarding Jesus, regarding faith, regarding sin and judgment and hell and eternal life, anything you share with someone from this word, that is teaching. You intend to convey a message. Please don't stop. Just understand, when you move into the role of the teacher, and especially those of us who teach publicly, and like I do, teach vocationally, 
Don't stop, just take it seriously. I've been flying a lot. I delivered my son to the other side of the country. We drove out to to Georgia last week, and thank God I flew home, because man, Georgia's a really, really long way away. (laughs) And we had a wonderful time, and we went to church along the way, and it was just a, he saw his first cotton field ever. (laughs) Gotta love a kid from Orange County. What's that? That's cotton, son. Wow. (laughs) It's huge. Yeah, imagine. Just saw a whole other, there's a whole other side of America, folks. It's not all like this, and that's a good thing, okay? But as we traveled along, we had an opportunity to to talk a great deal, and it's one of the great experiences, frankly, of my life. But thankfully, I was able to fly home. And I look, every time I get on a flight, I look at the pilot, hoping he's into it. Now, will a pilot be judged with greater strictness? He should be. I hope so. A lot of people can have a beer before they fly. Not the pilot. A lot of people can say, ah, it'll work out. Good enough. Well, we forgot. It's okay. We'll figure it out along the way. Not the pilot. But flying is necessary, it's helpful, it's life-saving in a much bigger and more eternally important way. So is teaching, whether it's the teaching of a small group leader or a disciple maker here in our church or the preaching of a pastor or the counsel from one troubled Christian that one troubled Christian receives from someone who has wisdom and can speak peace and gospel into their situation. All of that is teaching, but James says… Not many of you should become teachers. In other words, don't strive for this. Apparently, I take it that because the church was in conflict, some were trying to position themselves as teachers, perhaps to affect influence and authority over the others. Because he just told you in James chapter 4, verse 1, they are at war with each other. And one of the things that people who love power want to do is position themselves as teachers so that everybody has to listen to them. And James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, what? Greater strictness, because more talk equals more trouble. Listen to Proverbs 10, verse 19. In fact, read this with me. The Word of God says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. That's why public figures are in trouble all the time because of what they say. It is not necessarily that they are more foolish than you are. It is that their position compels them to speak continually, and every bit of it is recorded. Would you like it if everybody, if somebody recorded everything you say? Would you enjoy that? Not not for a moment. And here's the wisdom why. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lip is prudent. Please note that James chapter 3 verse 1 is singling out teachers and giving a warning to teachers, but there's a warning for everybody. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, what's it say? Greater strictness. So who's going to be judged? Everybody's going to be judged. 
It's just that the teacher, the one who speaks for God, will be judged more strictly than the one who does not. Does that make sense? But all of us, as children of God, we've just been singing, I am a child of God. Good. Relish that if that's true of you. If you're not sure about that, please repent of your sins and trust Jesus this morning. That's the whole point, the whole message of this church, is that Jesus Christ came to die and rise from the dead to save sinners. I am one among them. I am one of those who Jesus saved. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please understand your conscience is telling you the truth. Judgment is on its way, and only Christ can save you. Only Christ can forgive you. Only He can give you refuge from coming judgment. And Jesus Himself warns that one of the standards that God will use to judge people is the words that we speak. Matthew 12, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Did you hear that? Jesus is speaking to all human beings, not teachers alone. We will be judged more strictly. But Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people, everyone will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What does that mean, that you speak your words, and someday, Jesus says, your words will either speak against you or speak for you? And every careless word will be the standard of God's judgment. Sometimes people don't feel the need of Jesus because they comfort themselves that they have not committed great sins. I've had people tell me, I'm no murderer. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I pay my taxes. Good, wonderful. Thank God for that. You're to be commended for every good thing you do. What about this? Ever spoken a careless word? When? Daily in my case. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the judgment that J James has in mind. This is the brother of Jesus. And the wisdom of the Old Testament and the words of his Savior, Jesus Christ, are running through his mind and to these scattered, suffering Christians who have been pushed into not only suffering but conflict with one another, James says, you sh none of you should be too eager to be teachers because we're all going to be judged and the teachers more strictly than anyone else. The message of James in James chapter 3 is this, those who teach for God will be judged by God. And I just need to remember that. That hangs over me, not as a threat, but as a promise, as a standard, as a reminder that this matters, that if it's actually the Word of God and He, by His grace, has shown His kindness by saving ordinary people like us and given some of us the responsibility 
not only the privilege, but the responsibility of explaining God's Word to others, all of us who teach God's Word to someone else, our own children, our friend, the people we discuss the Bible, the people we talk about Christ with, our unbelieving neighbors and friends, all of those of us who speak for God will be evaluated by God. And that does not necessarily mean that there will be condemnation. It just means that a holy God will evaluate what we have said for Him and what we have said about Him by His righteous standard. This is why we need grace. This is why we need Christ. Who is sufficient for these things? No one. Only Jesus can give us this confidence and this sufficiency. Because, James says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. In other words, James says, if you're the kind of person who never says anything wrong, you're perfect. How many perfect people do you know? No one, just Christ. And the most temperate, wise, peaceful, good, loving person stumbles first and most, generally in my experience, by what they say. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. It's a really interesting word picture. Everybody familiar with what a bit is? Since I took my son to the southeast and I was, well, I learned how little he knew about a whole section of American life. I just want to make sure. Everybody knows what a horse is. Does everybody know what a bit is? A bit is a very small piece of metal that you put in a horse's mouth and something that could, has enough strength to leave you or maybe kill you will respond to you perfectly if you have this little bit in its mouth. And it's a word picture. James says if you control the horse's mouth, you'll control your whole body. And the point is if you can control your mouth, you can control your whole life. Look, verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Same word picture. The ship is massive. The captain stands at an oversized wheel that looks kind of funny compared to the wheel in your car. But he is guiding this massive vessel through the use of something that is actually tiny in comparison to the boat or the ship. It's so small, but if he can control the rudder, he can control the whole boat. And James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Oh, yeah. You ever think about how small the tongue in your mouth is? Just a tiny little thing. It'll wreck your life if you're not careful. Six foot six, 250 pounds. A brain like a computer. The wisdom of the sages. Money in the bank. Anything and everything he wants, and he can ruin it all. Just like that, with something he says with that little tongue. That's James's point. 
so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, I'm going to read you the rest of it, and we're nearly done, believe it or not. I know you don't believe me. Hang in. But I want you to ask yourself what James's evaluation of the tongue is, whether it is positive or negative. Just read that with this and with read what follows with me with that in mind. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Everybody all right? What's his evaluation of human speech? Is it positive or negative? What has your experience been? The tongue calls for the greater judgment of teachers and everyone who speaks because of the effects it can have on people. Why does our speech matter so much? James is telling you your tongue like a bridle in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship, can guide a life or destroy it. And though it is small and seemingly insignificant in relationship to the rest of your body, it can make life or ruin it in a moment. And I'm convinced, I can't prove it, but I'm convinced that James is writing in this proverbial style wisdom because he himself is being reminded of the things that Solomon taught him through his Proverbs written a thousand years before James. James was written about 2,000 years before our time. Solomon wrote the Proverbs about a thousand years before James lived. We already read one of those. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. But Proverbs continues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. This is the power, this is the influence of the tongue. It can guide a life and save it. It can be used, as you're going to see in a moment, to bless God or to curse people made in His image. The tongue can be used to speak of Jesus and to call upon Jesus for salvation. It has enormous capacity, far greater than anything we can imagine. To save life or to ruin it. That's why Proverbs says the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Why does he put those two concepts together? Why tongue and heart right beside each other? Because Jesus said later, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. It's not enough to watch the front door. You have to work on the stockroom. If the heart is wicked, if the heart is far from God, if the heart is self-seeking and sinful, of course terrible things will come pouring out the front door of the mouth. The very next proverb says, read this one with me, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. 
And this, James tells us, is the amazing capacity of the tongue. Look in verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Without getting too specific to the news, may I plead with you to act and speak as a Christian in these days in America in 2019. That includes Facebook. That includes all social media platforms. You're not speaking with your mouth, you're typing and putting it out there, but in so many ways that makes it so much more important because the internet doesn't forget. That can be captured in a moment and your worst moment of foolishness, and it was just a moment, can stay with you forever and ruin your reputation and your legacy for a lifetime. You can look back and have a digital record of the most shameful, ignorant, foolish thing you ever said, and people can pass it around for the rest of their lives. And the lips of the righteous feed many. And again, he's only and always talking about speech. The tongue of the righteous is like choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Same wordplay here, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. In other words, the wise man can use his speech of God, of wisdom, of peace, of righteousness, of the good news that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to save sinners. He can feed a multitude with that message. But fools who have the same capacity won't say that and won't hear that, and they will die for lack of sense. And James is exposing the hypocrisy of Christians. Look again at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father. He's talking to the family of God. God is your Lord and Father, and you can use your tongue to bless Him, and with it we, He includes Himself, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. Have you ever had that experience in church? Where you've come out of communion and fellowship with God and been absolutely paganized and heathenized out in the parking lot by a fellow Christian? It happened to me. A few years ago, I went on a vacation Sunday and went to a well-known church in the Los Angeles area, and standing by my car was nearly run over and shouted at very rudely in the parking lot as someone was leaving church. Well, whatever's going on in this service, it didn't do them much good. <laughs> and that's James. Now, given a second chance, I'm sure that person would take it back, because I would take back countless things I've said and done. But how quickly the tongue reveals the heart that you can use at one moment to bless your Lord, to bless your God and your Father, and in the same day, two hours later, encounter people who don't know Him, or maybe someone even from the family of faith, and you curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Does that happen? Arrowhead is famous for providing 
great drinking water? Would you expect ever to go to Arrowhead to the natural spring and get a salty mouthful of water? It's never going to happen. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, James is saying, speak as you are. Mind your words by minding your heart. If you really are in the family of God, show it by the things that you say, because the lips of the righteous feed many. These aren't James's words, but they check with his thought and his argument. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. What's James trying to tell us? Simply this. Teachers and talkers, get ready. Test day is coming. We have the tremendous privilege, brothers and sisters, of knowing God. If you don't know God, you can this morning. God has labored, lived, and sacrificed in a way that I can't truly fathom and explain to you properly, completely, so that you may know Him. I can do it adequately. I can tell you that God made you to love Him and enjoy Him forever, but you, like every other person, including, including the man who's speaking to you, chose your own path and chose sin over God, self-determination over worship. And you turned your heart and your life away from Him, and in some measure, every single one of us is bearing the consequences of that choice to this day. Some have already paid for it with their lives. Other of us, by the mercy of God, are still living. But God loved you so dearly that He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, who truly was born of a virgin as the very Son of God and lived righteously and perfectly among us, not only as our example, but as our substitute. And you can scour the historical record and look at the life of Jesus and discover that Jesus can stand in front of people who hate Him and ask them this question, which one of you accuses me of sin? And the answer is silence. Jesus never sinned, not with His, not with his speech, not with anything. So Jesus alone can be the substitute for your foolish and wicked words and every other bad thing that you ever could or ever have done. That's why you need grace. You can know God this morning, and if you don't know Him, if you think you know Him but you're not certain, if you hope that you're going to heaven but you're not quite sure and you're still working on it, I am here to tell you I'm here to use the gift of thought and speech to tell you that Jesus alone can save you. And as I close this service and we take a moment to pray, my sincere prayer is that you will pray to God in heaven and ask Him to save you by the grace and the sacrifice of His Son. Because that judgment day is coming. And those of us who have that privilege of being in his family, who calling God our own father, James says, let's talk like it. By our speech, let's use this amazing capacity that we have to bless God and not to curse the people made in his image. 
to show only the good things that He has done in our heart, to show forth by our speech what He has done on the inside so that people will have a clear picture of who He is because God in heaven cares so much about us and cares so much about this that He will call us to account for every word we speak, especially when we have the privilege of speaking of Him. The worst thing some of you could do from this message is to hear James's warning and say, I will never speak of God, I will never teach anybody else again. No. You have the great privilege and the tremendous responsibility of speaking of God's grace and speaking of your Father and speaking of His Son who died for your sins and gave you eternal life. Just do it well. Let them see the glory and the grace of God in your speech. Let them hear the forgiveness and the kindness of Jesus, not only by the things you do, but the things you say, so that you give fresh, refreshing water, so that people are blessed rather than cursed, because test day is coming. Let's pray together. Let me speak first, very personally and practically, to the first group I mentioned, those who may not be sure that you are at peace with God. Can I invite you to trust Jesus this morning? Stop trusting yourself. Stop trying harder. Stop trying to get it right. It's a dead end. You already know that just the things you say tell you every day you will never be a perfect woman. You will never be a perfect man. You'll stumble tomorrow just as you've already stumbled this week. So please turn to Jesus for salvation. Ask Him to save you. Say, Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I take you as my substitute, my Savior, my boss. Please save me. There's no magic words. There's no perfect prayer. There's just a person in need of a Savior turning to Jesus and saying, that's me, and confessing and acknowledging their need of Christ, asking in repentance to be saved. He won't turn you away. He has never turned anyone away who has called on Him in trust. So please do so now if you need Him. Is there anyone here this morning who has trusted Christ as Savior? If you have, I just ask you to take one simple practical step and find the card that's in your bulletin. Fill it out. If this is making sense to you but you still have questions, that's fine. It's a struggle. It's a learning process for all of us. It was for me. If you're interested and you've are close, but you still have questions, you still have doubts, fill that card out as well. Return it to us in one of the boxes at the exit. Whatever your commitment is or whatever your question is, take the card that's in your bulletin and leave it with us, please. I'll be in touch with you myself. And Christians, oh, the privilege we have of speaking of our Lord and Father. What grace we can give people, how we can feed people the goodness of God's Word, the peace of the gospel, the goodness of Jesus, but only if we speak of Him and only if we speak of Him well. So let's commit to doing so.
Lord Jesus, at the end of this passage, your brother James, who you also saved, said, brothers, these things should not be. We should not curse people made in your image. We should not produce anything that is harmful, anything that is repugnant, anything that doesn't speak well of you. Lord, change our hearts and help us guard our lips in sober, holy reverence that you will someday call us to account. And thank you for the grace that will take us to your presence. I ask these things and praise you in the name of Jesus. And Crosspoint said, Amen. God bless you. If you have a card, take a moment to fill it out. There should be pins in the seats near you. Leave it at the exits. There's boxes at every exit. If you need prayer or you'd like to turn those cards in to someone who would be very friendly and will pray with you, they're right over here by the cross. God bless you.